0: Everybody. Welcome to Tellers of the Untold. I'm Vanessa. It is the end of January and a lot is going on in this country. But today, for our episode before Black History, we just had Martin Luther King Day. I'm kind of excited for this this month. I'm trying to make I'm trying to be excited with everything that's going on with this COVID. But I'm I'm kind of excited about this month to learn. More about black history, teaching our kids. I'm going to have some kids on here so they can learn um, and teach you guys about some untold stories. But today, a little bit different, not having that happen. But I am going to play an interview from the documentary Sankofa, Chicago, relating to the law, law enforcement. Um, there's an interview I have with an ex Cook County sheriff, and he's going to talk to uh, us a little bit about injustice. He's going to talk to us about the importance of knowing our history, why this has anything to do with law enforcement, and about the justice system um, and who shapes the future of our black children. Not just in Chicago, but this is, you know, like I said, I'm in a be doing a documentary for various cities throughout starting with Chicago. So let's listen in to Matoto. He again is a Cook County Sheriff, former Cook County Sheriff. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Please subscribe, like, comment, and we'll be I'll be with you next week. Thanks.
1: Bit about yourself. My name is uh, Mutota, and I was born in Chicago, but I was raised on the East Coast. And so um, I worked for 30 years, and my background primarily is military, law enforcement, security.
2: Okay, is that in Chicago where you worked? in Chicago
1: or? Uh, Primarily in the Chicago area.
2: Okay, so tell me a little bit about that. What made you get into that
1: and? Uh, What made me get into it is because I was in the Marines. And so being in the military was an instant qualification for a lot of law enforcement jobs. So that's why I got into it. Not because I wanted to, but because they were willing to pay me to do X, Y, and Z.
2: So within your position, give me the day-to-day operations of what you would do,
1: your roles and responsibilities. Okay. So when I was with the Cook County Sheriff Department from 2003 to 2010, uh, my primary role was to work in the court system, to be an officer of the court. So I would witness a lot of the things that, um, some of the things, the way they were handled, the way... um, inmates was handled in, in the prisons, the way they were handled in the uh, in the court systems, the way the judge would interact with the uh, prisoners or people who were being detained, the way the judge would interact with the state's attorneys, the public defenders, and the public at large, as well as the interactions between law enforcement and, and, and civilians on the streets as well.
2: Okay, so are Black people treated the same in the system?
1: It's not even close. Why? Why? Because there is a code of racism that's that's seated within uh, the court system, that's seated within law enforcement in itself. So the same sentence that you would give a white inmate, that's not the same sentence that you would give someone that's Black or Hispanic.
2: And why is this? Why?
1: Because the whole system is founded in racism. And this is not just as far as uh, the, the way that the judge would deem, okay, how many years or how many months you're going to get. The whole system is corrupt as, as such. As well as this is, goes on with uh, inmates being beaten up by law enforcement, not just Cook County Sheriff Department, but Chicago Police, Illinois State Police, and things like that. I know this for a fact because whenever you get arrested and you go to Chicago Police, the Chicago Police Department has has to give us the person that's arrested so they can stand court. So when I see some of these inmates or detainees, they have been abused, a beaten up, a broken. Uh, you know, their eyes have been blackened and things like that. And I have to tell them the sheriff department will not accept them. They need to go to the hospital, and they need I need to get a release from the hospital saying that they can stand court and I turned them right around, and they have to take them. Legally, by law, they have to take them to the hospital because the Chicago police refuse to take care of them, to take care of their medical, uh, uh, you know, to take care of them medically.
2: So um, what about like the rights of, just the rights when they get stopped by the police, um, or like especially black and brown people get stopped by the police. What are some advice that you would give for those that get stopped by the police? What should we
1: do? The first thing I would do is, is before you pull over, you need to call somebody. You need to call somebody that probably does not have a felony, somebody that's creditable if they ever had to stay in court. So you need to be calling somebody, or if that person can't answer, you need to record your voice. Hey, I'm being pulled over at such and such a place. When you pull over, pull over in a lighted, well-lit area where there's a lot of traffic. Don't go down no dark road where there's nobody at. Stay on a well-lit road, okay? And then when you pull over, have your turning signal on when you pull over. If you're who is to drive and just pull over, they can give you a ticket at because that's it, because you did not signal that you was actually going to go right and then turn over. So you just can't just turn. In other words, you can't just stop your car on the road. You need to put a turning signal on and then stop.
2: Even if this is just for speeding, you you're still doing the
1: same. You still doing the same thing. Once you stop, you should have. You should be already on the phone talking to someone who is creditable. Why? Because if anything happens to you, now you have a witness that heard everything. You should also be on the phone where you shouldn't have to have your hand on the phone. You should have your license and your registration off to the side. That cell phone should not be in your hand because they will shoot you if they see anything in your hand. So your hands should be on the steering wheel at all times and you should not be moving at all. So when the police pull up to you, your window should be all the way up except for a crack in the window. If the officer asks you to lower your windows, you say, officer, with all due respect, I do not want to lower my window because you might smell something that you don't smell. If they say they smell marijuana or something like that, now they can search your car. So you keep your window all the way up, just enough to slide your driver's license through and your registration through. The officer might ask you, Uh, where are you coming from? Where are you going? You say you plead the fifth. What is that? That's your constitutional right to not incriminate yourself because anything you say or do, it will be held against you in the court of law. So there's no reason why he need to know or she need to know where you came from, where you're going. So even if you're innocent and
2: nothing's going on, you still
1: do? Even if you're guilty. that's That's the court to decide that. That's not for you to decide that. Whether you're innocent or guilty, you have a right to not incriminate yourself under the code of law in this country, the United States. The reason why they do that is, is so that they can have more arrests, more incarcerations. You have to understand that when, whenever we're arrested, a lot of us do not know our rights. We don't know what we can say or do, nor are we told. We're not told by the police. We're not told by, uh, you know, when we go to school. We don't know the law, and they won't teach us. Another thing, a lot of times, A lot of times when we are detained or arrested and we go to court, a lot of us can't afford an attorney. And a lot of times, even if you can afford an attorney, a lot of times attorneys don't even defend us. They just take our money. So if you don't have enough money, usually we rely on a public defender. They defend their republic, not us. So a lot of times the public defender doesn't even come and even she or he don't even talk to you about, hey, what's going on with your case? Did you do it or not? They just come up to you and say, hey, take this six months, take this uh, three months in jail, just take this year in jail. They don't even listen to your case. A lot of them do. Why? Because they're underpaid and they're overwhelmed with cases. They cannot even defend all the cases that they're assigned to. So they already know that, number one, they're going to arrest X amount of people right off the bat and they're not gonna be able to defend themselves legally. They're not gonna have a proper defense, whether they did the crime or not. So it's more incentive for them to go into black and Hispanic neighborhoods and get rid of the ones that they deem necessary that shouldn't be here. So
2: going into the prison system. The- you don't give me exact statistics, but give me an idea. How many people that are actually
1: in jail, in prison, that are of color? Well, I, I can really talk about this because prior to my service for the Cook County Sheriff Department, I worked for the Illinois Department of Corrections at Stateville, which is a maximum prison uh, four years prior to 2003. And I can tell you it's so disproportionately uh, when you're looking at blacks and Hispanics in the prison systems, is is a lot of us being locked up? And this, and then if you look at the crimes versus as what if someone was white committed the crimes, we're giving longer prison sentences, and this is and this is perpetual throughout the state of Illinois, not just in Chicago. And then the treatment in some of these prisons are barbaric. Case in point, I had a case where I was working in in E Block. This is in Stateville. And I know that a black man had been violated. He was an inmate and he had a black eye. And I was even dealing with a black sergeant. I said, Sergeant, we need to get this guy moved. It was two men. It was an older man who got abused, and it was a younger uh, man. They were both you know, African-American. And it took me four hours, four hours or more to get him moved because I was told that he was going to be killed. And the black sergeant told me, I don't give a damn. They're animals. The black sergeant told me in front of black and white officers, I don't give a damn. I stayed on him for hours. And finally, he allowed me to move him. And that black inmate, well, after I moved him, it was an older man. He had tears coming down on his eyes. And he said, thank you for saving my life. So
2: what kind of abuse is actually going on and
1: especially with our people it's, like that it's, it's brutality not only by other inmates but by, by officers and this is very very this is it's ongoing now some places like the illinois um department of corrections they're not bad with that they have stayed on it when i worked at stateville they did stay on it when i was at the cook county sheriff department anything goes anything goes i mean the brutality is bad As a matter of fact, the jail system is so nasty that they actually had, we actually created viruses. We actually created SARS viruses because the establishment was so filthy. I literally had to go home in my garage when I came home and peel off my uniform and walk from my garage to my house in my underwear for fear of contaminating my family. This is no exaggeration at all. And so what I'm saying is we had inmates with their heads on the walls that are not sanitized, with their hands behind their back. If they was to move their heads off the walls, they would be brutalized. Meaning that they might be kicked, they might be stomped, they might be punched, teeth knocked out of their mouth. When I came across, if I, If I saw them with their heads like that on these walls, I told them to take their heads off these walls. And I told them to relax. And I had other officers look at me and I'd be daring them to say anything. So there was none of that going on when I was around. I would not allow it, absolutely would not allow it. And I had been suspended and I had been threatened because of such actions during my time with the Cook County Sheriff Department.
2: So do you think it's gotten better, worse, or the same as far as the black community in Chicago?
1: I believe it's gotten worse. I believe it's gotten worse. Because with us teaching, with us feeling like we hate each other, hating it because of of our skin, we have no respect for each other. That compounds the hopelessness. It compounds the, uh, the lack of jobs, the education. And, and, and the system is really bad. I mean, if you want to get your son or daughter to education and you don't have money, you better fight to get your son or daughter in some charter schools. Because otherwise, if you go to re- regular public school, they don't teach you anything. The education system in Chicago is horrible. And I can speak for that because uh, I have a son and he's went through charter schools, not the regular public schools. And if you go to charter schools, they actually teach quality education as well as education when you're talking about who we are as a people.
2: So what do you think can be done to help shape the future of our black community?
1: I, I don't believe there is a future unless we get control of these institutions. So
2: who shapes that future?
1: Who shapes the future is the ones who controls the, the institutions. They control the laws. If I can control the laws, I, can, who, I, I could. Who care less what what uh what fountain you drink out of, because I'm controlling what comes out of the what comes out of what comes into water, in the water.
2: So what can we do as citizens uh, here?
1: We need to put pressure on these institutions to create laws that will support us, that will reflect us as people, whether they're black, white, Hispanics, whatever. They have to have laws that include us, not exclude us. And and as long as we have these laws and these policies in place, nothing will change. Nothing will change, and we will continue to be lost and brutalized and disenfranchised. We have to get control of these institutions. We have to. We have to understand that these policies that are being made, whether it's the justice system, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's, uh, it doesn't matter what it is, unless we have control of these mechanisms, you know what I'm saying, that are, that are keeping us in bondage, nothing will change. We'll continuously be brutalized. not not necessarily for me, not necessarily for my son, but all those that would come after us.
2: So vote and voting being important.
1: Voting has its place, but there is nothing that that can subsidize us demanding change. That in itself does not require a vote. When we look at the Civil uh, the Civil Rights Act, do you think that we just all of a sudden put people in there who could all of a sudden vote for the policies that we want to change? No. Look at what's going on in Minnesota. Look at the policies that, that, that are changing now. Do you think that that's because they voted some new people in all of a sudden? Absolutely not. The pressure is on. We have to keep the pressure on if we want these policies changed, and regardless of whoever you want to vote for. We have to demand change. How, we do, how do we demand change? First of all, we need to be aware. Secondly, we cannot be scared. Third, we have to be aware of these policies and attack these policies. We have to be aware of what the police are doing, how are they doing it, and attack that. You have to be attacked. You can't attack something that you're not aware of. How would you do that? You're not. So there's people like me who have built their careers in law enforcement who have to teach to others, hey, this is what's going on. And then now we have to get out there and protest and challenge these policies that have been in effect. That's what we need to do. We need to attack the system at its root. How
2: important is history? How important is it for us to know our own history?
1: It's very important. Why? It's very important, and not just the history of the last 400 years. We have, we've got a longer history than the last four or 500 years. So it's very important that we're getting taught true history, not a, not a view of history that that, that does not portray us as our entire history. Our entire history spans much further than the last four or 500 years. We didn't come from slaves. We came from kings and queens that dominated this planet. We created the foundation for all, societies, for all societies that have followed us. It's important for us as a people to experience our true history. And when we experience that, I will be able to love myself. Therefore, I can love others like yourself. But if I can't love myself because I've been taught to hate myself because I do not know my true history, then people like me will always be damned.
2: And a question going back to the crime aspect. Black on Black crime. Why is there so much Black on Black
1: crime? You know, you have to understand that when people talk about, you know, living in a project, well, what is a project? A project and this is an experiment, and this experiment of racism has gone bad. We cannot take the projects and use that into our own mentality and our own spirituality. I believe as a people, we have to start loving ourselves. We have to start loving our Afros, we have to start loving our natural hair. There's no such thing as coarse hair or good hair. It's what it is. We have to love one another, whether we're dark skinned or light skinned, because we're being attacked by symbols every day. Whether it's in the school system, whether it's in, uh, you know, you're watching TV. Whether it's it's the injustice system, they call it the, the justice system, no matter where, we're constantly being attacked. So therefore, I don't love myself and I don't love anybody else that look like me. So I don't really have to worry about hurting you or killing you because I don't feel like I'm a human myself. I really believe as a people, we need to get back to the Creator. We need to get back to His commandments. We need to get back to loving one another. And I believe that that and the other things that I said will help us. We can't look for others. We have to look for ourselves. We have to look for the Lord. We keep looking to be included. It's okay to be excluded, but we need to have equality. We should have what everybody else has. That's what we need. Stop looking for some bones to be thrown to us. We cannot do that no longer. How many years, how many centuries, how many hundreds of years are we willing to sacrifice our people to, to this madness? I'm not willing to do it. Absolutely not. Now, I'm sorry for getting emotional, but, you know, this is how I feel. And as God's people, we have to get back. We have to get back to loving ourselves, loving one another, nurturing ourselves, educating ourselves. We can't worry about other people to educate you. We need to self-educate ourselves. Where, who are we? Where do we really come from? I have
2: one more question that you touched on before our interview, but could you explain the connections between slavery and
1: our criminal justice system? I believe that. I believe in 1965, I don't believe that slavery ended. I believe that slavery was just transferred to the unjust system, law enforcement. So in other words, instead of making you work for free on a plantation, they make you work for almost free in the prison system. And once again, without proper representation, your voice will never be heard because you're not being that because the republic is not helping your voice to be heard and I believe that this is how we are being funneled into the injustice system with the with the policies and the laws and the over policing and how are these drugs coming into the system and let's believe do you really think that crack cocaine, you get the same prison system if you was dealing with heroin, which is primarily with Caucasians are being charged with, or crystal meth. Absolutely not. If you look at the prison systems, they're really geared to certain drugs. And if you look at some of the uh, minorities, whether you're Black or Hispanic, you'll see that they have longer prison, systems. Uh, uh, prison sentences. And it's not by coincidence. It's absolutely not. It's by design. It's by design. You think on the south side of Chicago, we're growing we're growing hemp? Absolutely not. Where do you think this is coming from? How do you think this is being funneled in, in our societies? We need to have, we need to start having like uh, like clubs. Not like the Y, but we have to have clubs. In these clubs, then we need to talk about our spirituality. We need to talk about our health. We need to talk about uh, healthy foods to eat. We need to talk about how do you treat our brothers. How do you treat our sisters we need to be talking about what do you do when you have to deal with the police we need to talk about all these things we need to talk about true history we need to have our own clubs that indoctrinate things for us so that we can be positive yes we may not have enough fathers yes we may not have enough mothers but we can put them in these type of clubs so that way they can get indoctrinated in a way that they can survive in this world we need to be doing that. It's not just good enough to just to put these on the school system. And why can't we get these things funded by the federal government to better us as a people? There's absolutely no reason why we can't fund this. If they can fund the, uh, the, the Y, the YCMA, why can't they fund this? And I think we need to do this. And we can also uh, fund self-defense. We can do all these things. That this would be a, this can be a vehicle that can set us free, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Um, do you have any- I'm just very grateful and very humbled to be a part of this experience.